Hi folks, we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 today and I have a question for you before we get into it. Did you know that Hebrews talks about the second coming of our Messiah? It does and we'll talk about that a little bit today. So we're going to take a detailed look at Hebrews 1.6 today, but by way of review, let's first read the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 1 in the New International Version first, beginning with verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And folks, here's verse 6, again in the New International Version. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now I want to read verse 6 to you in the New King James Version, and I want you to notice that there's a difference in this verse between the New King James and the NIV. So we're going to read it, actually we'll read it one more time in the NIV first. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And now in the New King James, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Now folks, there are two differences in verse 6 between the NIV and the New King James Version. One difference is the placement of the word again. That's an important difference and we'll discuss that in just a little bit. But the other difference is that in the New King James Version, the phrase, let all the angels of God worship him, is in all capital letters, which means the translators are indicating that this phrase comes from the Old Testament. The New American Standard Bible does the same thing, and personally, I find that helpful. But where does this phrase come from in the Old Testament? The phrase, let all the angels of God worship him. Where does that come from? 
Now, scholars say that it is from Psalm 97.7 in the Septuagint. Two scholars in particular have given me very helpful information here. One of them, a Puritan, sometimes referred to as the Prince of the Puritan Divines, that's John Owen, and his seven-volume commentary on Hebrews, I found that very helpful, and also John MacArthur, a contemporary scholar, and his commentary on Hebrews. They both said that the phrase, let all the angels of God worship him, comes from the Septuagint in Psalm 97.7. I would not have known that otherwise. Now, if you wish to, you can verify this for yourself. I did it. If you search the New King James Version of the Bible, you will not find the phrase, let all the angels of God worship him, anywhere in the Old Testament. You won't find it in the NIV either. And that is because, again, it is a quote from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament made by a group of about 70 rabbis. Some say 72 rabbis. About 270 years or so before Yeshua, Jesus, came into the world. Because the New Testament writers wrote in Greek, they often quoted Old Testament scriptures from the Septuagint, because it was Greek. And if you search the English translation of the Septuagint electronically yourself, in the widely available eSword program, to name one, you will find it in one place only, in Psalm 97, verse 7. Now, the scholars of old had to really know their Bibles including the Septuagint, in order to recognize that this phrase was quoted from Psalm 97.7, since these scholars didn't have the benefit of electronic searching as we do today. Modern translations, such as the NIV, translate Psalm 97.7 this way. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. But again, that's not what Hebrews 1.6 says. It says this in the NIV. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The reason for the difference here is that Hebrews 1.6, once again, folks, uses a Septuagint translation of the original Hebrew, and it reads like this, the Septuagint translation. Let all that worship graven images, this is Psalm 97.7, folks, let all that worship graven images be ashamed who boast of their idols. Worship him, all ye, his angels. Now, why the change from gods with a small g, meaning idols, 
in Psalm 97.7 in the Hebrew Bible to all God's angels in Hebrew 1.6. Well, again, the Septuagint has made that change, but why did the author of Hebrews go along with that change? Now, in the Hebrew, in Psalm 97.7, the word we are interested in is Elohim, a plural word that usually refers to God, who has a plural nature, but it can also refer to false gods or idols. It doesn't usually refer to angels. The usual Hebrew word for angels is malachim. The transliteration in English is spelled M-A-L-A-C-H-I-M, malachim. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, Elohim is only translated as angels in both the NIV and in the New King James Version one time in Psalm 8, verse 5, a very familiar verse to most Bible students. And for that reason, in part, we're going to look at that verse in context now. So let's look in the NIV at Psalm 8, verses 4 to 5. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Now, folks, this is a wonderful verse. Chances are it's familiar to you, and we're going to look at it in detail when we get to chapter 2 of Hebrews because it is quoted there, and we'll go into it more at that time. However, here in Hebrews 1.6, the word for angels chosen by the authors of the Septuagint definitely seems to be the right translation and not God's with a small g. Why is that? In order to answer that question, we need to know the context of the seventh verse of Psalm 97. So let's look at Psalm 97 in the Septuagint to know what the psalm is about. When we do this, we see that this psalm, except for the use of the word angels instead of gods with a small g, in the Septuagint version, angels, is quite similar to frequently used English versions such as the NIV and the New King James Version. What is the message of Psalm 97 then? It is a message very compatible with the return of the Lord. That's right, folks, his second coming in glory and in judgment. Is this important to know in trying to interpret Hebrews 1.6? It definitely is. Let's read that verse yet once again. Hebrews 1.6 in the NIV. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now let's look at it in the New King James Version. Hebrews 1.6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, 
Let all the angels of God worship him. Now, what does again mean in this verse? We mentioned earlier that the placement of again in this verse was not the same in the NIV as in the New King James Version, and we've seen that. Please stick with me, folks, for a moment, and you'll see the relevance of this shortly. The word again can simply indicate repetition. Is that what it means here? If the answer is yes, that would be as if the Holy Spirit was saying to us something like this. I told you before, and now I'm telling you again, when I brought Jesus into the world, I told all the angels to worship him. That way of understanding this verse would lead us to conclude that the verse is referring to the Messiah's first coming. That is what the NIV seems to suggest, or does again in this verse refer to the future, that is, Christ's second coming. How can we tell which is correct? Does again simply mean repetition here, or does it refer to a future event? If Psalm 97.7 comes from a psalm that talks about the second coming, then I think the word again in Hebrews 1.6 refers to the future, which is what the New King James Version seems to suggest. Now let's look at Psalm 97, the first nine verses in the Septuagint, and see if it can help us answer this question. I'm going to read verses 1 to 9 in Psalm 97 in the Brenton, B-R-E-N-T-O-N, translation of the Septuagint. For David, when his land is established, that's the title or introduction of the psalm, the Lord, which is not divinely inspired, folks. Here is the actual divinely inspired scripture. The Lord reigns. Let the earth exult. Let many islands rejoice. Cloud and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the establishment of his throne. Fire shall go before him and burn up his enemies round about. His lightnings appeared to the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens have declared his righteousness and all the people have seen his glory. Let all that worship graven images be ashamed who boast of their idols. Worship him, all ye his angels. Zion heard and rejoiced, and the daughter of Judea exulted because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou art Lord most high over all the earth. Thou art greatly exalted above all gods. Isn't this an incredible psalm, folks? It does not speak of the first advent. 
it speaks of a return in glory and the judgment of unbelievers. This is Jesus returning, folks, the second coming. This is the day of the Lord. The angels will be with him when he returns, and surely they will be worshiping him. I think there's another part of Hebrews 1.6 that we need to comment on before we finish today's study, and that is the phrase, when God brings his firstborn into the world. Because we have strong scriptural evidence that this verse refers to the second coming, we can say that God is bringing his firstborn into the world again. So firstborn here cannot refer to the virgin birth of Messiah in Bethlehem. That happened at the first advent. Firstborn here refers to something very much like only begotten, which we talked about when we studied verse 4 of this chapter of Hebrews. Since we know that Jesus is not a created being, he is God and has always existed, we know that firstborn does not refer to the birth of a created being, as some would incorrectly say that this means. No, firstborn here means of first importance, God's one and only Son. The King James Version says it well. And again, this is Hebrews 1, 6, folks. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Remember verses 4 and 5 of this current chapter that we are studying, chapter 1 of Hebrews? We studied those verses recently. Let's read them again. I think the New King James Version is more helpful here than the NIV, so I'll read the New King James. Hebrews 1, verses 4 to 5. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now folks, the name that Jesus inherited that was even higher than any name that he had before the cross was the first begotten son, or as in this verse, Hebrews 1.6, the firstborn, which means of first importance. It's a special name, a title, and a title of the highest rank. John MacArthur says it well. Let me read what he says about this from his commentary on Hebrews. In this passage, Christ is called the firstborn. Here again, many sects and cults claim a proof text to show that Jesus is a created being. Look, he's firstborn. You see, he was born like all the rest of us. A related supposed proof text is Colossians 1.15. And he is the image of the invisible God 
the firstborn of all creation. But firstborn in Greek prototokos has nothing to do with time. I'm still reading from John MacArthur, folks. It has to do it has to do with position. It is not a description, but a title, meaning the chief one, firstborn, the chief one. The concept was associated with firstborn because the oldest son usually was heir to the father's entire estate. Thank you for that, Dr. MacArthur. So folks, let's sum up Hebrews 1.6. I'm going to paraphrase it. When God again brings his firstborn to earth, this time in glory and power and for judgment, all of God's angels will worship him. Now folks, as we close, we need to say, wasn't the message of this verse just astounding? Folks, this message is good news. Jesus is coming again. Have you received Jesus as your Savior, Messiah, and Lord? Have you accepted the precious gift of salvation that he offers? If you have not, please do it today with all your heart. I want to see you in heaven along with the rest of my born-again friends. Thank you for listening, and God bless you, folks. This is Art Walensky. Until the next time.